Today's scripture reading will be taken from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Again, that's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. I will be reading from the New International Version. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their way of understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so that they indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, do not... Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. by his deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to be put off, put on a new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us, and we welcome Allison. It's good to have her and the family here uh, worshiping and serving together. And uh, I'm reminded of how wonderful it is to have sound men that are so qualified and do such a wonderful job. The scare of my life, as I was just walking up the steps just a moment ago, I went to turn my mic on, and I realized it had been on the whole time. <laughs> Am I thankful that they had me mic down? You wouldn't have liked what you heard. I'm not a very good singer. Uh, this morning, let's begin a series of lessons that we'll look at least one lesson each month. We'll look at least 12 lessons that pertain to the important topic of morality. And we think about who forms your morals your convictions in your life, when someone comes to you and says, hey, let's do this, and you say, I'm sorry, I, I can't participate in that. Who forms that moral? Or is it that when someone comes, no matter what they offer, you're prone to go and to be a the truth in your life that God forms your moral convictions? Or is it true that yourself or your peers form your moral conviction? Now perhaps you say, surely that wouldn't be a discussion among church people. But yet in just a few moments, we'll see an illustration that, that is something just even that claim a commitment in Jesus Christ. I thought it was interesting that just this past Wednesday, Britain's hiking magazine, that is, uh, sells more issues than any other magazine in Britain on the topic of, of hiking and going on trails, they had to come out with an apology in February's edition that still is to hit the stands, but it's already printed. You see, they were giving an escape route if you were on Scotland's highest peak and you had to have an emergency escape. But the problem was, whenever the editors edited that article, they accidentally edited the first two points of escape. And so if you follow what has been printed you would literally begin descending off the north face of the mountain, which would be a 4,416-foot drop. And so, of course, they sent out a release urging people not to follow that way of descent. But I couldn't help but think of what all good mothers have always said. 
if all of your friends jumped off the bridge? Where are our morals? Do we feel comfortable using just this as an object lesson? Do we feel comfortable opening just anybody's hiking magazine and saying, oh, this is the descent. Oh, this is the ascent. Oh, this is the trail. Or do we believe with all of our heart that when it comes to the morality in our lives and the convictions that should be formed, that we have to go to God and to God only? When we think of how it has been made light in our society, in the past few years we have seen ads like this and various songs like this, and there could be hundreds more of these. But Azuzu's had the commercial, The World Has Boundaries, Ignore Them. Or a while back, Outback Steakhouse said, No Rules, Just Right. NFL video games that advertise, No Refs, No Rules, No Mercy. Or Comedy Central saying, see comedy that breaks rules. Or the English patient says, in love there are no boundaries. Or a band that sings, the rules are for breaking. You see, it's actually glorified today to be immoral. In our society, the idea is, there are a lot of people jumping off the face of the mountain in moral descent. And we ought to be a part of them because that's the way to be today. No morals. All immorality. Look how glamorous it is. Is it really so glamorous? Let's look at a study that came out. This was reported three months ago, the end of 2002, by the Barna Research Group. On the screen, you will notice that there is a percentage of adults who considers a behavior to be morally acceptable. The percentage on the screen are those that view of adults these behaviors to be morally acceptable. Now you will see that squeezed in there are four columns of numbers. Those four columns have a heading above them, the first column being all adults from this 1,024 people that were surveyed This was what all adults said. For example, gambling in America today, 61% of all adults say that is morally acceptable. Now note, they weren't asked here, do they gamble or etc. They're asking, what are your convictions? What do you believe is acceptable morally? 61% of all adults said that's an acceptable behavior to be a part of. Now in the second column, you'll notice that the heading is evangelicals. Now, we're going to use the definition that's given here for this study to simply make this point. And I'm not saying that I agree with everything about this study, simply reporting to you by way of introduction this study. This is the column of individuals that believe that not only a belief and a faith in Jesus Christ in their religion, but also in their day-to-day life. In other words, this column of people stated in this survey that they believe that Jesus was not only someone that you went on Sunday and you worshipped and you sang praises to God and to His Son, but when you went through the week, Monday through Saturday, you believe that Jesus should be active in the conduct and forming the convictions in your life. Hopefully, in this survey, most of us, if not all of us, should fall under this category here. In other words, if Christ were forming your daily convictions, do you believe gambling is an acceptable behavior? 
Of those, 27% said, yes, it still would be. And I note this. Of those that said, yes, I'm a born-again Christian, but I do not believe that Christ should have much to do with my day-to-day behavior, see how the numbers change? You see, I'm showing you this this morning not to see if you agree with the numbers. I want you to see how people's convictions change when they believe that Jesus is to form the convictions in their life. And then even when you see that category of people, you see how difficult it is still for them to draw the proper conclusions. And then third, the fourth column you see there, it's a column of atheists. I ran out of space on the screen. It should be slash agnostics also in that one fourth column. Notice how the number is remarkable, higher, remarkably higher, 75%. Because you see, the only thing they can base their convictions upon is what they feel, what they think, what they believe without an absolute standard. Now on the second screen, you'll notice that these continue. We see on the second screen profanity, intoxication, homosexuality, and illegal drugs. These all coming down in a descending order from the first column of what all adults think of moral behaviors that are acceptable. The least acceptable is illegal drugs of 17%. Over the next 12 months, these are topics that we may look at. Also, if you have topics of which you would like for us to study from the Word of God, seeing if Christ formed these convictions in our life, what would we believe and practice about these things, please feel free to make a note on your card if one of the things that you're concerned about is not on this list here, and we'll read it quickly. Possible topics will be abortion, adultery, intoxication, fornication, gambling, homosexuality, immodesty, and marriage. Of course, marriage is not immoral, but there are immoral approaches to marriage today that we need to address. Pornography, profanity, prejudice, shoplifting slash materialism. This morning, let's take some time this morning to give an introduction, not to one particular area of morality versus immorality, but just to the topic in general of Can we really know what is moral? And if we can know what is moral, where could we ever find it? And how would that change our lives? We just had so capably read for us Ephesians, the fourth chapter. As we go to this next screen, I'd like for you to review the first few verses in your mind. And if you will notice, bold there is a phrase, futile in their mind. Now, as we read this, I want you to think about the word futile. We typically, in our English language, think of that as being empty, and it is. But I want you to note something, that the word from which this is translated, the original Greek there, had a much stronger meaning than just empty. In other words, he wasn't like, sometimes we use the word vain in our imaginations, or a vanity in our being or in our mind, meaning something empty. This word comes from a Greek word that means our emptiness is empty of morality. In other words, it could also be translated depravity. Depravity is when someone has become morally corrupt. 
In other words, their moral compass is completely off. And now in their life, the things that they say are right are actually things that God would say is wrong. The things that they would actually say are morally acceptable are things that God would cry out and say, that's a sin, that's immorality. And so as we look at this series here, I want you to notice something. And I'll just be honest with you. When I went to this text this week to develop this lesson, I thought I was going to have to say to you, let's study this text as we see principles that relate to immorality. As I started doing word studies, I came to find out that this is a paragraph of writing of not principles, but he's dealing directly with immorality. That's what he's saying here of the heathens. Look again there in verse 17. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. In other words, Paul says, I can say this because this is what God would have me to say. Testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk. Now notice, who should rule the affairs of our day-to-day conduct, our day-to-day life? He says, let me tell you how the heathens walk day-to-day. And the heathens here are mentioned where he says, no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles. In other words, he says, the rest of the heathens, those that aren't guided by Jesus Christ, well, what are they going to do? He says, in the futility of their mind. In other words, in the moral absence of their mind, here are the things that they do. What is it that they do? Notice how on the screen we have a few things underlined in 18 and 19. And these things that are underlined, after we read these two things, you're going to note that we have some of these listed in a column. But I want you to see from the Scriptures. Man didn't come up with this listing that we're about to see in a moment. God is the one that says, let me show you the slippery slope. Let me show you what happens when people decide to listen to the ways of the world, to themselves or to Satan, about how to descend. They go off the face of the mountain. Here's the way it happens in verse 18. What produces the fertility of the mind? Here it is. Having, number one, their understanding darkened. Number two, being alienated from the life of God. Number three, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Number four, and who being past feeling have given themselves over to number five, lewdness, which will connect also with number six, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. How can we become immoral? How can our moral compass be completely inaccurate? We see that number one, it's when our understanding is darkened. Now the next few verses that we'll turn to There are not slides for them. If you'd like to open your Bible, I'd encourage you to do that. We're going to look at these quickly and try to make a little time for the next four or five minutes to think about the ways that we can go down a slippery slope of immorality. The first passage is in John the third chapter in verse 19 through 21. We're thinking about how our understanding is darkened. Notice, we can't live moral lives if we don't understand what morality is. We can't live moral lives if we don't understand the dangers of immorality. We can't live moral lives if we don't know who sets the standards of morality. And so we know John, the third chapter and verse 16 very well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But have you ever noticed the verses following that? Let's pick up in verse 19. And this is the condemnation that the light has come. Now wait a minute. What happens when we're immoral? Our understanding what? darkens? How could we enlighten our understanding? 
Well, he says here that the light has come into the world. In other words, the Lord came to a dark and moral world and said, let me shine upon you. You remember the Sermon on the Mount? We're to be like a light, a city that's set on a hill. How is it that Christians shine the brightest? Is it when they come to worship on Sunday? Probably not, although that's very important. We probably shine the brightest to the world when we live on the day-to-day basis a life of morality and the world around us living a life of immorality. And so he says here in verse 19 that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest the deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen and that they have been done in God. You ever seen someone, the more they learn about Jesus Christ and about Christianity, the more determined they are to not become a Christian? Why? Why? Because that person is being exposed to the light. And the closer they come to the light, the more they say, I'm not willing to repent of this. I'm not willing to change my traditions. I'm not willing to change my customs. I'm not willing to change my practices. And so they pull away from the light. Why? Because they love their evil deeds more than they love Jesus Christ. In other words, their understanding had the opportunity there to be enlightened, but they chose to pull their understanding back into darkness. You'll remember several years ago, it was in 1999, that Daryl Scott, his daughter, the Columbine shootings, was the one, the little girl, that the gunman, the boy that, that held the gun to her face in a mocking way, asked her about her Christianity again. And she refused to deny the name of Jesus, and she was shot in the head. Later, he was invited to come and to speak before a small gathering of congressmen. And he said... Before you ever invited me to speak here today, I've written a poem that I'd like to read to you. And he wrote this. Your laws ignored our deepest needs. Your words are empty air. You've stripped away our heritage. You've outlawed simple prayer. Now gunshots fill our classrooms and precious children die. You seek for answers everywhere and you ask the question why. You regulate restrictive laws through legislative creed. And yet you fail to, notice this word, you fail to understand that God is what we need. Friends, when we see immorality ruining the lives of individuals and even taking the lives of individuals. How foolish is it for a Christian to say, I just don't understand why this is happening. We know why it's happening. You take God out of the life of an individual and they have no moral compass. They're loaded for destruction. And so the cry of this father was a cry that should have been heard across our land that if we want to put some understanding back into our society, if we want to put our compass back on track morally, we're going to have to start understanding more about God. But notice, as we move away from the understanding and the darkening, and if you will, go to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verse 33. As an individual pulls away from this understanding... They begin to 
alienate themselves. And notice the passage that you read as a text. We don't just alienate ourselves from God. The passage says we alienate ourselves from the life of God. Immorality cannot be practiced simultaneously with a life of God. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33, do not be deceived. Evil company, evil company corrupts good habits or good behavior. Why? Because it moves us away from the life that we ought to have. Now, as our lines and our, and our visions start being blurred, and our understanding becomes darkened, have you noticed? Now, at that point, number one point, at that point is when we begin to justify to ourselves that it really doesn't matter. That pornography really doesn't matter. That intoxication really doesn't matter. That immodesty really doesn't matter. And you just name any immorality and the person is starting to have blurred lines. But what happens at the same time of those blurred lines is also the fact that that person is starting to say things like this. You know, I just don't enjoy church like I used to. You know, I just don't feel close to the church people anymore. And eventually those same people will even say this. You know, I'm tired of those church people. They think they're so goody-good. What is that? It's when a person is alienating themselves from the life of Christ. Friends, I'm not declaring to you that those of us that are faithful Christians are perfect. We're far from perfect. But if we love the Lord, we're going to recognize our sin. And instead of trying to justify our sin, we're going to come back to God, repenting of that sin and saying, God, you're the standard. I'm not going to change that. I'm going to change me to conform to that. Now, let's go to a third passage. Or let's make quickly a third point before we go to another third passage. So as we have this digression here, if you will, you notice back in our text of Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the understanding's darkness, we're alienating ourselves, but the result in verse 18 of all this is that we have ignorance. Ignorance is in us. Why? Because our heart is a heart of unbelief. So eventually, the person literally does become ignorant. Have you ever sat down with someone that's immoral and you said, you know, that fornication is sin. And them say, <laughs> you're kidding, right? There's nothing wrong with this. We truly love each other and we're committed to each other. And just because we haven't gone through some kind of little ceremony, you can't say that that's sin. And now maybe you think in your mind, oh, they're just trying to make themselves feel better. They may be beyond that. They may be literally to the point that they're ignorant. They really believe the lies that Satan has fed them. Someone says, well, I don't want to get to that point that I would really become immoral and be totally ignorant of it. The only way to do it is to not begin that slippery slope down. Now, let's turn to Jeremiah the 6th chapter. As we go to Jeremiah the 6th chapter, you'll notice that the next verse in our text talked about that we would be past feelings. Now, this is a very important point. Past feelings. You know what a callous is? Have you ever seen someone with a calloused heart? Have you ever seen a young person that... And let's make this example of, a, of an older teenager, even a young adult. 
that as they began to have their understanding darkened and they began to alienate themselves from the life of God, and finally they moved toward ignorance. But during this time, they always tried to hide their sin. Or they always tried to justify their sin. But if you'll notice that after a few years of that, they can actually stand before their friends that are still faithful Christians, or they can stand before their family that's still devoted to God, and they can proudly say, that's who I am, and if you're going to love me, you're going to have to love that. And we say, how could that happen? It's a calloused heart. It's a heart that has stopped feeling the guilt of sin. And it's a dangerous place to be spiritually. Jeremiah the 6th chapter, we're going to read verse 10, then we're going to skip down and read a few other verses. This is where... Jeremiah was telling those of Jerusalem of the destruction that was going to come because they had become callous. But notice what led them to this callousness. We're going to begin in verse 10. He says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised. See, they're callous there. They cannot give heed. You know, say he says they can't. Well, why can't these people give heed? Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. They have moved to the very point in their life where someone could say, did you know what God said and what you're doing is in opposition to what God said? And they would say, number one, I don't care about that. And number two, I don't even like talking about that. The Word of God is no delight in my life. And let's skip down and see what happens to these people. At the end of verse 13, he says, everyone deals falsely. Then going into 14, he says, they have also healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, peace peace when there is no peace. Have you ever seen someone say about a sin, oh, that's not that bad. That's okay. It'll be all right. Peace, peace. And God would say, there is no peace in that. Now let's read on and notice verse 15. He asked this question. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed, nor did they blush. If you have your Bible open, you know that I didn't read that right. It'd be bad enough to say they had no shame and they didn't blush. But you know the verses I left out there was to make a point. The words I left out. Notice what he really said. Nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. And this time I punish them. They shall be cast down, says the Lord. Their heart had become so hardened. They were so much past feeling that God says now's the time they ought to at least say, I'm embarrassed. I can't believe I've let my life come to this state of immorality. And God says they don't even know how to blush anymore. It's a terrible thing when we come to the point of insensitivity of God's will. A preacher explained one day how that morning, it was a Sunday morning, he had baptized a man that was paralyzed from waist down. And he had baptized that man into Christ, and it was a beautiful, beautiful occasion. That evening, that man came back to worship service, and he had his feet wrapped up. And it surprised the preacher, he was wrapped in bandages. He says, what in the world is wrong? And the man explained, he said, this afternoon, my wife was giving me a bath, and we were running the water, and, and 
I was sitting on the side of the tub, but my feet draped over in the tub, and the phone rang, and she ran back to get the phone, and what we didn't know was that only the hot water was on. And I couldn't feel it. I didn't know that my feet were burning. Immorality. People can actually come to the point that they don't feel it. But note this. Underline this in your mind. It doesn't stop the destruction. The man's feet were still burned. They still had to be wrapped and cared for. You can say all day long, I don't feel this. It can't be wrong. And if it's wrong, the absence of your feeling isn't going to stop one ounce of the destruction that's going to take place. I think about the various times in my life where I begged men not to, leave their, not to leave their wife and their children. And they were already past that point of sensitivity. With a very calloused heart, they could say with boldness, I'm going. Now because they couldn't feel any guilt in that, did it take away from the damage and the pain that it caused those children and that it caused that wife? Absolutely not. Because a drug addict can't feel the pain because all they can think about is the next high. Does it take away from the destruction that's in their life and the lives of those that love them? Friends, I need to realize that I am a fool if I am practicing immorality and I'm feeling guilty about it right now and I have plans to go out and do it tomorrow because one of the most horrible things may happen in my life and that may be tomorrow I practice it and not feel guilty. And it's hard for a person to turn around that has no remorse. The truth is it's impossible because remorse is a part of repentance. We have to close. We'll pick up this lesson maybe next Sunday. This morning, I want to close by giving you one little bit of information about the Barna Research Study that we opened with this morning. What was interesting is their report ended. They said that the majority of adults in America today view themselves as being highly moral. Now let that sink in. Here are these people that looked at all of these things of immorality and said it's acceptable, it's acceptable, it's acceptable. But yet they viewed themselves as being highly moral. And when they asked about why they thought the problems of immorality were so prevalent in America today, their response to that was, it's because of other people that are immoral. That's what happens in a society where people stop seeing a standard of morality. Later in this lesson, we're going to see that Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the one that ought to be learned and we ought to be taught by Him. And we ought to literally change our conduct and, and in a symbolic sense to be dressed by Him. And this morning, I want you to think about that if you've been looking in your family or you've been looking in your community and you've been thinking, look how immoral others are, 
A good place to begin this morning is within. Who sets my standards? How much does Jesus Christ, being the Lord of my life, affect what I'll do each day of the week? Christianity. Christianity is designed to change us completely. This morning, we extend the Lord's invitation, and it's not something that anyone should respond to lightly. It's only for those that are willing to say, I'll change my mind about everything. I will give God the, uh, the priority in my life in every area. And if you haven't done that, I want to urge you to realize that even though it's a tremendous uh, commitment, it's the best thing that you'll ever do. What a blessing it is to our life because all of a sudden then we're traveling down a a mountain of life and we have a compass that's accurate. We have a guide that's accurate and we can reach our destination, that being heaven, our home, alive. This morning, if you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, yet you believe. You believe in the Lord with all of your heart. He's the Son of God and you're willing to repent. You're willing to turn away from sin and to God, and you're not ashamed of Him. Will you be baptized this morning? Maybe you have been baptized somewhere in the past, and you evaluate yourself now, and you see that you've lost sight of some important things. It's easy to do. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.